This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Picture books play a vital role in teaching children new words and language and eventually shaping their interest in the written and spoken word. Now, a recently published set of children's books aims to do just that for the Klabit language by being the first of its kind um, bilingual Klabit English books. Now, here to tell us more about this very interesting project is Sarah Lois Dory, the project lead and also, um, I understand, one of the authors of the books as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah, and you're joining me all the way from the UK as well. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for accommodating the time difference. <laughs> Glad to be able to sort of find the right time to have you um, on. Now, maybe I'll start by getting you to tell me a bit about um, yourself, right? I understand um, through some of the interviews that you've done that you said you come from a mixed parentage family. Your mother is a Kalabit, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, I come from a mixed heritage family. My dad is Indian and my mom is Kalabit. Uh, but I think it was predetermined before birth <laughs> between my parents that we would uh, be culturally brought up um, according to my mom's side of um, the family. So uh, even on our official documents, we are registered as Klabits. Um, and yeah, they actually really took the time to bring us up. Although we grew up in KL, mm-hmm. uh, we were born and raised in KL. But we were often um, brought back to Barrio and to Sarawak and um, to really know who it is that we are culturally as Sarawakians. Mm. So what was that like for you to grow up in sort of, I guess that that in in two worlds almost, right? Because you were born and raised in KL, like you said, it's a very metropolitan city. But at the same time, your family made sure that, you know, you knew your um, Kalabit culture. What was that like for you? I think it was a very interesting mix because, you know, the Klabit community are essentially a very communal people. If you look at the way that they live and how they, they do life, essentially, it's very communal. Um, we don't have, for example, we don't even have words for auntie and uncle. You, The same word that you use for mother and father is what you would call another older person who is your auntie and uncle. Uh, which is Sina and Tama. So that actually shows the kind of relationship within the community of how mm-hmm. close everybody is. If you look at the way that we live, a lot of times um, we live in long houses. So everything is very communal. And that actually extended when the Kalabit started to move into the cities. So even though we were in KL most of the time, um, you know, the Kalabits who live in KL also gather amongst themselves quite regularly. So, you know, my mom used to go to these um, meetings um, where Kalabit families just come together, they cook Kalabit food, you know, the kids all mingle together. And so we're never disconnected from our culture uh, in that sense. And it also helps that uh, we constantly go back and forth to uh, our village where we come from in Barrio and also to Miri and Kuching where some of our other family members are. Um, And and you get to mingle with, um, you know, the rest of your family. We were very close to our grandparents. We were very fortunate that our grandparents also lived with us for a very large amount of time. Um, So it was really nice. So you have that yeah, you grew up in the city kind of thing. But at the same time, I can also claim to be kind of a village girl, like, you know, no qualms going to the jungle, uh, walking barefoot. People always make fun of me because I sit everywhere and anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's dirty, (laughs) but but it's just, that's the way we grew up. You know, we were running under long houses, you know, playing hide and seek in the dark in an empty uh, long house kind of thing. So, so it was a really nice experience. I think I had the best of both worlds, if you ask me. 
Now, unfortunately, um, and, and this question, I guess, comes from my own ignorance as well, right? For many of us here in West Malaysia, we're not very familiar with um, the Indigenous communities um, over in East Malaysia in Borneo. Um, we learn very little unless you have the interest or you have family ties, right? I guess, what what more can you tell us about the Kalabit people and the, their, their culture? Because it's for those of us who aren't familiar, we tend to lump Indigenous cultures together, right? Yeah, and so there are actually many indigenous cult, uh, people groups in um, in Sabah and Sarawak, mm-hmm. um, and and they are categorized into a lot of subcategories. I'm sure you're familiar with the words Daya and and things like that. Um, so the Klabits actually come from the Orang Ulu category, and if I'm not mistaken, you'd probably have to fact check this. There are about nine Orang Ulu. Uh, major Orang Ulu people groups, if I'm not mistaken, they may they might be actually be more. Uh, but the Klabit people come from the Orang Ulu people group, um, and they are only about six thousand or so population. So we are quite a small mm. um, ethnic uh, tribe, and you know because we're so small, our our language has actually been classified by UNESCO as being endangered. Um, we come from primarily the highlands of Barrio, so that would be about uh, 45 minutes flight away from Miri. Uh, it's in the highlands, only accessible by um, a small plane, a twin otter plane. It's an 18-seater plane. Very interesting. You can see the pilot from where you sit. Um, <laughs> or nowadays by uh, logging roads, which would take you about like a 16-hour journey, which is crazy. Um, so it's like considered very remote. Um, and just to give you an idea of how remote it is, uh, it only has so it has a primary school and a secondary school right up till uh, form three only, if I'm not mistaken. And then after that, you have to move to the city to continue education. So it's really small. Uh, the, the main economy is growing um, paddy, so rice, um, and it's also famous for its um, salt. Yeah. Huh. Interesting facts to know. Um, considering how small the community is and, and the fact that the language has been classified as endangered by UNESCO, like you said, Sarah, you know, is, is it still a language that's commonly spoken within the community? I think within the uh the generation of my parents, yes. Mm-hmm. But so I would consider um myself to be second generation or, or first generation to be born in the city. So mm-hmm. my so my parents were the first people to move to the city. Um, so our generation don't really speak as much, especially those who are born outside of Sarawak in particular. But within my mom's generation and obviously our elders, yes, they do speak it very much. And even, you know, when they're amongst themselves, I think they still feel more comfortable uh, to speak in Klabit. Yeah. Hmm. Those would be a glimpse into some of the challenges that the, the Klabit community face at, at large, right, when it comes to all aspects of their culture. But from what you've heard from um, your family or even friends as well, I guess what have been some of the challenges in keeping, you know, your traditions, your language, language and culture alive, especially as we do see more and more younger people sort of coming out and moving out into the city to um, to find jobs really at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean that there are there are a number of things, uh, factors that contribute to that. The first is, of course, like you mentioned, people move out into the city, and as I told you earlier, because of the remote area that we come from, uh, it's inevitable. You have to at some point move out because of uh, limited internet connectivity, you know, uh, education, uh, job opportunities, and things like that. You have to at some point leave. Um, and so that is one of the issues. Uh, second is uh, intermarriage. 
um, you know, interracial marriage um, or even international marriages, you know, like you you married to non-Malaysians, for example. Um, and and those things uh, really affect how you pass on your culture. I think maybe not everybody made the same stance as my parents did to raise your child in a particularly clubbit environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing also is just the simple fact of education. In schools, we are taught English and Bahasa Malaysia, uh, but no um, uh, emphasis is given on uh, preserving your own mother tongue. So kids are growing up now in environments where you're learning English and Malay, but because that is the one that you speak most often, it is so easy to forget what your indigenous tongue is. And I get that, you know, it's it's something that is not something you can stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they need English and Malay. It's just that, that these three factors, I think, are the main reasons why um, our language and, and our culture is, is hard to preserve in that way. Yeah. Hmm. It's especially with the, the the language aspect, right? I think a lot of people bring that up and everyone acknowledges that yes, we need, you know, everyone needs to learn English and Malay, but it doesn't, it shouldn't preclude your ability to learn other language. It shouldn't preclude the ability of, you know, those um, local governments, federal governments to put policies and systems in place to keep these traditions alive because all these traditions are what makes us all Malaysians, right? Yeah, most definitely. I think, I mean... It is, it is kind of hard um, to implement such a thing, especially mm-hmm. in Malaysia, I would think, because we have so many ethnicities. Like, how do you how do you ensure that every single ethnicity, you know, kind of learns their own mother tongue? And there are so many dialects even within a single ethnicity, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, so, which is why I think it then comes down to the community and it becomes our responsibility to preserve and protect and carry on our own cultures. And I think if everybody cultivates that, love that need um to to keep it going within our own families like you don't even have to be responsible for your neighbor's family just your own family you know that kind of mm-hmm. thing and you you everybody carries that mantle i think it shouldn't it wouldn't be an issue and i think everybody would really believe that it um that it's something important you know mm-hmm. uh so so i think even for me like i don't even speak proper clubbit to be honest, like, and I think that was one of the reasons why um, I really wanted to do these projects because it was also a learning process for me. And I, I have been seeing over the past years, you know, with my involvement in um, doing music videos with Alena Murang and, and just being around my family, um, how if I don't catch on to this now, there will be nothing left for me to pass on to my kids later on. And mm-hmm. and I think that would be such a, a sad thing. On the show with me today is Sarah Lois Dory, a film director and children's book publisher. And we are discussing her project into um, writing and publishing a set of bilingual uh, collaborate English children's books. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Live and Learn BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su And on the show with me today is Sarah Lois Dory, a film director and children's book publisher. And she's joining me on the show today to discuss her new project, publishing a set of three children's books, which are in both Clubbit and English. And it's a very interesting project because it's the first of its kind. It's looking at um, doing its little part in preserving the Clubbit language for the generations to come. And before the break, you know, I was talking to Sarah about um, what it was like for her growing up um, in the city, but still maintaining her Clubbit traditions, you know, 
know, both here in KL and also, you know, on trips back to um, Barrio Sarawak. Now, you're a film director. You also spoke about your work um, with Elena Morang. You, um, if I'm not mistaken, you helped direct um, two of her videos, Warrior Spirit in 2021 and then Midang Midang in 2019. What was that experience like for you um, to be able to showcase collaborate culture in this way? Yeah, it was really a really magical experience, if you ask me, um, because I think, you know, as much as I grew up being exposed to my Kalabit culture, I never really knew what it meant to be a Kalabit until um, I graduated from university and then I started working for a bit. And in 2017, I went back to Barrio uh, for the first time without my mom, in a sense that usually you go back because your mom's going back, that kind of thing. But this mm-hmm. time I went on my own accord. Um, and and during that time, I, I got to spend time with one of my aunts. Uh, her name is Lucy Bulan, who has recently passed. And just listen to her speak And I don't even remember what she was saying, but something about that conversation that we had and just spending time with her and just being in the land woke up something in me. And I was just like, I need to do something about my culture. I need to do something about my heritage. And I felt like suddenly uh, like an invisible mantle was passed on (laughs) during that trip in 2017. Uh, and, And I really couldn't make sense out of it. Um, But whenever I look at the landscape of Barrio, I always feel so upset that the way it is portrayed by the media and and Sarawak in general is always very, if you look at it, the colour is always so desaturated. Um, Yeah, it's beautiful. It has mountains. It has a lot of biodiversity and things like that. But I feel like it doesn't do justice to the landscape and the beauty of its people. And I've always thought to myself, you know, if I were to make a film, I'd love to make a film in Barrio, but, you know, I never really did anything about it. Um, And so I met Elena in 2016. Mm -hmm. So her music producer is my first cousin. Um, And Elena and I are also related, but quite far relations. But so I met her for the first time, you know, in Klabit, in the Klabit culture, we always make fun and say that every time you meet Klabits, you meet a new cousin. Uh, Because, you know, everybody is a community so small that you're kind of related to everyone. So anyway, I met her uh, during her EP launch in 2016, and I was blown away at what she and Josh did to um, revitalize the music. You know, they they have such a beautiful interpretation um, of what all our elders have uh, done in the past, and, and they just breathed new life into it. I was just blown away, uh, particularly by Midang Midang, you know, and, and I remember sitting there watching them play, and I was just like, this is such a good piece. Like, it it really deserves more life. Uh, but we didn't do anything about it, obviously. And then I think in 2018, uh, Elena messaged me, and she was like, Sarah, you know, do you want to work on something together? And I was just like, yes, and I want to do Midang Midang. <laughs> me telling the artist what to do. <laughs> uh and and yeah so but you know it took about a year before we actually got things going and um we shot in the barrio highlands uh and that it i i think that that gave us an opportunity to really explore what our culture meant to us and and how we want to show it to the world uh visually uh, I think this was like a rebirth of or retelling of who we are as people today. 
So in the past, people have had their views of who the Kalabits are, how we look like, what we should be. But we have progressed so much since then. You know, our people are involved in so many aspects of life, uh, not just um, we're, we're not just the petty farmers that we used to be. We're now in music. We're now in film. We're now in the judiciary system. We're now, you know, in fashion. Uh, we're doing all these things and the people need to see us for that. But still set against the backdrop of our heritage and culture, we have not forgotten who we are. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the even though the music video may seem really abstract to some people, like, no, this is not really Sarawakian, but hey, we are the Sarawakians. We're telling you this is who we are. And so I guess through, you know, warrior spirit, Midang Midang, and I think Alena would say the same thing. This is who we are. That's the statement we're saying. This is who we are today. You don't have the right to put us in a box and say that this is your traditional costume and that's all you can wear. No, I think that culture stretches its arms beyond the confines of traditions. And you need to understand that it is not a rigid thing. It changes as it goes along. Each generation adds into it their own uh, influence and their own experiences. And so I think what we, I think, um, managed to do successfully through these music videos is to show that to the world. Hmm. Ultimately, it's you telling your own story, isn't it? It's not for anyone else to say whether that's right or wrong. It's you doing justice to your story, to your community, to your culture. Yeah, and, and it's really a statement of who we are in this generation, like the collabits of this generation, or at least us as artists, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so maybe different Klabit artists or different Sarawakian artists may feel differently, and that's fine too. Mm -hmm. um, so, But I think it's important to know who we are, where we stand in our identity and our culture, and where we want to bring it and our contribution into the world. Hmm. So how did you go from film directing into starting a children's book project? You alluded to it a bit earlier, why you wanted to do your bit in preserving um, the Klabit language, but tell me more about how the project got started. Right, so I mean... I would say that first and foremost, I will always be a film director first, uh, because that is like my love, <laughs> the love of my life, um, the source of all my uh, bitterness, <laughs> but also the source of all my joy. Um, but I think what it did was that it also, my involvement in these projects um, and also just spending time with my family um, really got me thinking how we can uh, move beyond um, film and move beyond music and and have something tangible that we can pass on to the next generation. Um, while yes, I do believe in the power of film and the power of music, they have a particular place. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that books have a different kind of power altogether. Physical books, especially, um, you know, has has a certain magic to it that that other mediums don't have. Mm -hmm. um, and and a lot of it actually started from. So I mentioned that um, you know my cultural awakening happened in 2017 when I sat down with my aunt, um, and so she passed quite recently, about a year ago, mm -hmm. um, or two years ago now, because now it's 2023. Um, and when she passed, I suddenly felt like we had lost something so great in our community because she had played such a big part in preserving our language, preserving our culture. She was involved in so many community projects. And and, and I thought that, you know, the generation of my parents are slowly starting to disappear. 
And they were the ones who were really guarding and making sure that things are being passed on. And they did their job really well. Look at us, you know. Um, and and there was some, so I, I was responsible for putting together like a video montage for her funeral. Um, and there was a documentary that Astro and Red Communications did uh, on my aunt um, a couple of years back. And so I, I rewatched the documentary to see what I could use for the montage, right? Uh, and in that documentary, she said something that really stuck with me. She said that when she was, so my parents, so her generation and my parents' generation were the first to have formal education. Um, and so, and my grandparents were all illiterate. So when it, it came for them to leave the highlands, so these are people to leave the highlands for the first time, my grandfather uh, and grandmother told my aunt, they said, you go, you get your education, do what you need to do, and then you come back and you lift up your own people. And that was why she made all the decisions that she made in life. You know, she came back, she became a school principal and all these kind of things. And she just did so much for the community. But that really stuck with me. He said, you go, you do what you need to do. And then you come back and you lift up your own people. And I thought, wow, that is such a powerful thing. Because if we don't lift up our own people, nobody's going to do it for us. Um, and so for me, then I started to search for like, okay, what is a tangible thing that we can do? And then I came, so her son... Uh, who is one of the authors, David Lian Labang, um, and her? They they had a they had one project that they started uh, in 2007, where they started these um, preschools in the village, and they had simple stories to teach Klabit to kids, um, but it was not properly published, you know, and the, and the the pictures were like sort of like PowerPoint clip art sort of pictures. Um, and, and I thought these were really good material, but not something that a kid would pick up, you know, that kind of thing. And in this day and age, if I, as a person, don't know Kalabit at all, how will I know what I am reading if it is purely in Kalabit? And if, for example, my mom's generation is no longer here and I don't speak Kalabit, who is going to, you know, say what this means. Mm -hmm. So I thought if this material was bilingual, you know, in English and in Klabit, it would cut across to kids who are still in the highlands or kids in the cities or kids that have moved out from Malaysia or even adults who want to relearn the language. You don't mm -hmm. even have to be Klabit, you know, that kind of thing. It just has a much bigger reach. And then, you know, obviously there's ideas about like, oh, if we could get illustrators and things like that and make it beautiful. Um, and so that's how it all started. So then I had a conversation with my cousin and he's like, are you open to doing this together? I can I, I can pull the resources together. I can make things happen. Um, would you like to do it? And my cousin said, yes. And then I got my mom involved um, because she obviously speaks Kalabit. And so the both of them helped me with the translations and editing the stories. And we came up with a few more stories together. And so that's how the books kind of came together. Um, initially, I was we were planning to do it like out of our own funds. But obviously, you know, publishing a book is not very cheap, mm -hmm. especially physical books. Um, and, and so just at the time, um, the Ministry of Tourism, Creative Industry and Performing Arts, Sarawak, had a fund available that extended to the publication of books. And so, you know, I thought, you know, just give it a try, send in my proposal, see what happens. And we were so fortunate that out of the Sarawak Heritage Arts and Culture Facilitation Fund, we were able to get funding to produce these books. And 
really that was such a blessing because out of that, they donated 150 books to libraries in Sarawak and, and, and also um, Datuk Rawat, who is a minister in the Sarawak Premier's office, he sponsored another 100 sets of books to be put in school libraries in Barrio, so the various schools in the Barrio district. And so that was really good because now the books have gone beyond just trying to make, you know, like sales, but it is reaching people who may not have the funds to buy these books. And it is reaching the people who it's for, you know, mm-hmm. these kids in the Highlands. And, and to me, that was the most satisfying thing. Um, and and the profits of these books don't even go to me or go to anybody. It, <laughs> it goes to um, making more of these books, you know, because that's the that's the intent. Um, and and so, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. Mm. I mean, there's no point making the books if they are not going to the right people, right? So it's so wonderful to hear that, you know, these are going into the hands of children who would um, need it most, who would be reading it, and hopefully, you know, doing their little bit, like you said earlier, to keep the language alive. So you mentioned your you you mentioned your co-authors. Um, um, so David Lian Labang is your cousin, is that right? Um, and yes. then uh, Lillian Lipang Bulan is your other co-author, right? Is that your mother? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, my mom. <laughs> what was that um, what was that like for you to be able to work on this with your family? That must have been quite fulfilling to be able to sort of pull the community together and work on something together, right? Yes, definitely. I think it, it was really very special. So, um and and that's why I would describe anything I do to do with my culture as magical because it has a different kind of fulfillment. You know, um in in my film directing job, I work primarily in commercials. Mm-hmm. Uh and so that can be a uh, very soul draining at times um because <laughs> you're just selling stuff. Um but this I found to be really, really fulfilling because not only are you tapping into your culture, not only, not only are you learning something new, but you're also building connections with the people who matter to you the most. And for me, that is always something that I hold on to. I think that our relationships with our families and just connections with people are what matter the most in the end. You know, who cares about the work that you do? It's the people that you love that matters. Um, so that process working with them uh, was very fun, I think, you know, and it's and it's so um, like done in a very easy way. Like it wasn't, there was nothing formal about it. I was literally, you know, having conversations about translations with my cousin over WhatsApp because he lives in Barrio. And I would go over to my mom's place um, for dinner. And after dinner, we would sit and talk about the books, you know, and I would, we would go through, you know, what kind of things we want to say, whether the words are right and things like that. And it's really fun. And and it was a really good learning process for me too. Yeah. Mm. Tell me about um, the books themselves. There are three books, right? I'm I'm not going to attempt to um, name them. I fear that I will but- I'll be butchering your language. So, you know, you, you do tell me more about the three different books. Sure. So, um, so the first is um, uh, which is what is inside grandpa's fish trap. So these books um, are actually not so much story books. They're more like children's primers. Think Peter and Jane books. Um, so they're meant to teach you very beginner level vocabulary. So the first book um, talks about numbers. Um, it teaches you how to count from 
one to five in Glabit. So at the end, there is like an explainer with the, the words. Uh, and inside there is like, oh, how many you know, catfish is in grandpa's fish trap or something like that. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that's the first one. So it talks about numbers. Um, the second one is, oh, I have to mention that it was illustrated by three different illustrators. So the first one is by Sandra Kung. Um, she's a Sarokan illustrator based in Kuching. Um, and then the second one is Dot Ribbed Kijan, uh, or translated Kijan is beautiful. And this one is illustrated by Felicia Bateman, also a Sarawakian uh, illustrator based in Kuching. Uh, and this one is about facial features. So, um, so yeah, it shows you like where your what your eyes are called, what your ears are called, what your mouth is called, and things like that. Um, and a funny story is, so because I'm also learning the words as I'm publishing them, right? And, and I'm not the main author. So <laughs> so I was doing some edits. And so if you see here, mouth, the word for mouth is ta'ang. Um, but I was deriving this, this whole, you probably wouldn't use this in the interview, but I'll just tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this whole part derived mm -hmm. from the text that we have in front. And for the part that has mouth, it says, which means Kijan has a cute mouth. And I was trying to guess which of the words mean mouth to put in the explainer behind. And I actually used the word bako, which means cute <laughs> instead of mouth. And so my explainer was eyes, nose, and cute. <laughs> So yeah, so it was a really fun learning process for me. But yeah, so um, Dot Ribut Kijan is about facial features. And the last one is Ini Lun Kude, which means this is my family, uh, which are basically names that um, you call your family. So names for father, mother, sister, and brother. Uh, yeah, and so these three books um, are children's primers, basically. And what we did was we worked with the illustrators to have curated images that are tailored to our culture. Um, and it's very specific to Klabit culture. Um, if you see like the kind of hat that the dad wears or, you know, I mean, there are very similar, a lot of similarities within the Orang Ulu culture as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but these are the ones that you would typically see on um, Klabit people. And if you notice like, some of the images, the people have long ears because that is very typical of um, our old culture where having long earlobes are a symbol of beauty. Uh, we don't do that anymore, but like my grandfather had long earlobes. Actually, both my grandparents had long earlobes. And so what we wanted to do was to have these images so that kids could have these cultural conversations with their parents you know like I would imagine that a kid would be like why does the man have long ears you know mm. that kind of thing why does he look like that and that would give the opportunity for parents to have or even grandparents to have these conversations with their kids um, beyond what the book is about uh, and so that was the intent to to really create that relationship between uh, generations to create opportunities for conversation um, that goes beyond learning vocabulary. And sorry, and who was the illustrator for the third book? Oh, the third one is an illustrator called Trisha Go. Um, and she is a Chinese girl from West Malaysia. Uh, and, and that's something I want to talk about. So as much as I really believe in um, working with Sarawakian artists and uplifting people in our community and Sarawak in general, I also think that culture is not 
an exclusive thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way that other people can learn about us and for us to learn about each other is to work together. And which is why one out of three books, I chose to work with someone from West Malaysia. And that way, you know, there was a lot of back and forth on telling her, okay, this is how it's supposed to look like, because this is how we are, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. This is the motive that we have in our culture. And so there is that exchange and learning more about someone. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, even if I can't reach like a lot of people to tell people what my culture is, I have that connection with that one person and and who we work with. And and I find that to be very special. I always think that one-on-one relationships are have something special about them. And so I love to do these kind of collaborations where we also involve people who are not from our culture, but you have that cultural discourse. Um, so that was fun. Oh, that's really interesting. And that's really wonderful because, um, you know, I, I had thought that these were children's storybooks, but having them be primers um, work so well, like you said, to reach not just children, but adults as well, right? Because even for people like, you know, me, that's a great primer to get the conversation going. You know, you learn languages by learn by learning the basic words, and this is how you do it. And then, the the two birds with one stone, you get to learn about the culture as well, and that gets the conversation going. Um, what was the reception? What has been the reception like for the books? You know, what have you heard from um not just your friends and family, but I guess people within and beyond your community as well? It has been really good, and actually took me really by surprise because. I've had people calling from the UK, from New Zealand, from the States um, who are interested in getting the books and they're actually willing to get them shipped over, although it's really expensive. Um, Because, yeah, I think sometimes we underestimate how far our people have gone into the world and how actually deeply rooted they are or they want to be deeply rooted in their culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So people have been really looking for the books, um, which is great. And also people who are non-clubbits have been purchasing the books, which, which caught me by surprise. I had a kindergarten in KL, Mm-hmm. purchase the books to read to their kids um you know who are non-Sarawakians because they want to introduce kids to the different cultures there are in Malaysia and I didn't even see the books going that far you know and it, it may be a small thing but that's really cool like that people really want the next generation of Malaysians to know beyond the Malay Chinese Indian community, which is so encouraging. Um, and, and I've had doctors come purchase them to put these books in their pediatric wards, you know, people oh. buying them for their nieces and nephews. And it's so interesting. And kids, I've and I've seen videos of kids reading them. Um, and 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 it's so interesting. I had a friend who who is Chinese, who bought it for his daughter so that she would learn it. And it was such a funny experience because I got to read the books with her. And the first time she looked at it, like at a glance, she was, she's like, I think seven, eight years old. And she looked at it at a glance. She's like, oh, this is so hard. I don't think I can do it. And I said, no, let's just try. And then so we did it one by one. And after she got through one book, she's like, okay, I can do this. And she, you know, on her own, tried to read the other two and she did really well. Uh, but that was that was a really fun experience. And suddenly for the first time I saw that actually this goes way beyond um, our own community. And yeah, it's so interesting. 
I mean, you definitely have one person in me now in- very interested in the books as well. So that's Yay! one more adult <laughs> added to your list. Um, and hopefully, you know, our listeners will be interested in in getting their hands on the books as well. It's, um, you know, if they do want to purchase the books, where can they find them? So we're on Instagram at the moment because we have very limited print. Um, so if you go to Scepter 7 Press on Instagram, there'll be a link in the bio where you can make your orders. And I'll be putting um, a link to the Instagram in the podcast description of this show as well. So if you missed that, you know, you can just head right over to um, our website, bfm.my or our BFM app and search for this podcast. And you should be able to find the link and that should get you right over to the Instagram page. Um, And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. No problem. I'm glad to be here. I've been speaking to Sarah Loistore, film director and children's book publisher, about her recent project into publishing three bilingual club in English books. Um, Primer books meant primarily for children, but also not limited to children. Adults are more than welcome to learn more about the club language and the culture as well through these books. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.